Welcome to the Profitable Farmer Podcast, where we share stories and tips to help you run a better farming business and create your very own freedom farm. If you're looking to work smarter and not harder in your farm business, welcome, you're in the right place. G'day team, welcome again to Profitable Farmer. I hope this season's playing out well for you. Um, one thing I've always wanted to do on this podcast is to interview, you know, maybe Andrew Denton, for example, or, you know, honouring Michael Parkinson this week. Um, we lost a great interviewer. Um, wouldn't it have been amazing to have the chance to interview him about his backstory? Um, haven't got those two guys, but I've got Aussie Agriculture's next best thing. I've, I've asked Ollie Lalive from Humans of Agriculture to join us for this conversation and um yeah putting him in that in that category of just being a wonderful human who's incredible at interviewing and taking a deep level of interest in people's stories and helping people share their stories um Ollie wonderful having you part of profitable farmer thank you for your time thanks Hutch it's good to be here and I think you're way too generous with your intros but uh, I'll take it thank you <laughs> take it but wouldn't it be interesting to interview Andrew Denton for example Ollie Oh, it'd be incredible, wouldn't it? I think yeah. there's something about people who get the chance to sit and listen to others and kind of grab what are the little pearls of wisdom, what are the things that stick with them when they have, I guess, that chance to chat with so many people would be fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. I just just on that, Ollie, and the Humans of Ag podcast we'll get to in a moment, but how do you reflect on, you know, the opportunity to meet and sit with and question and interview and and learn from some great people in Australian agriculture. Yeah, I think probably in one word is just fortunate. And I think probably also from a business perspective, I think it's probably one of the best kept secrets. I don't think anyone can probably just launch a podcast and expect that you're going to get access to people in the way we can. Uh, but I do think probably what's been really cool with the podcast is over, geez, three and a half years now, we've had the chance to probably have our audience and even the people who we're chatting to kind of come on that business journey with us as we evolve from a passion project now into a business and to sit down and actually ask people questions, whether they're CEOs or small business owners or just, I guess, uni students, being able to draw on the perspectives of different people that we get to chat to as part of the podcast and work out little things that I'm trying to work out for myself is honestly, I think one of, yeah, it's, it's a privilege, but it's also a bit of a superpower of having a podcast. Absolutely. What's your connection to ag going back into your history, Ollie? And and what's your sort of backstory? I think you went jackarooing after ag college or even before ag college, but what's your connection to agriculture personally? Yeah, well, and I do think uh, it's in your neck of the woods there down in Cooter. But for me, I think like it's something which I probably shied away from earlier in my career and I kind of hated that question when people in ag circles were asking you like oh whereabouts are you from and whether it was at different times where I was jackarooing or, or whatnot probably what's made me feel like a bit of an imposter the whole way through was that I'm actually a kid that grew up in Sydney and it was for me I was, I was incredibly fortunate that my connection to agriculture came through mum's family who have a sheep and cropping property just west of Geelong and so I was lucky to spend every kind of school holidays um, and even often get escorted through the airport by air hostesses and picked up at the other end by my cousin, which was just an amazing kind of childhood. I'd, I'd remember that I wouldn't cry when I was leaving mum or dad 
in Sydney. It was when I had to leave the farm at the other end and return home after the holidays that the tears had really start. So for me, I think, yeah, the early memories in ag have always been around the farm and in that production side. And that was absolutely the way I wanted to go when I left school. I went jackarooing at Futter Park down in Harden. And then, yeah, spent a, a few years working on sheep, cattle and cropping operations. Did a few years here in Australia, went to Marcus Oldham, then did a stint over in Canada on a cropping property there, which was amazing. And then came home and did a bit of a mix of production ag and then started to move into more of the agribusiness side and probably supply chain. And it's brought me to where I am today. Perfect. Look forward to exploring that a bit further. I think one of the things you're really passionate about is career pathways into agriculture. What's your comment about how easy it is for young men and women in Melbourne, Sydney, Geelong, um, wherever else, to actually find a way into our industry? Was that hard for you? I mean, you had that connection down in Victoria, but was it was it easy and um available to to land in our industry or do you feel like the career pathways into agriculture are still um not quite as established as they could be i think we probably as an industry don't do a very good job of chatting about it and showing it to people for me personally i think probably the benefit of being a city kid and not coming from the school of mum and dad farming i actually came into a business really quite green and I'd done enough probably to be handy and have a bit of an idea when it came to stock sense. But the managers that I worked under were actually able to, I guess, shape me into a way which really fitted well into their business. So I think that's probably a huge benefit of bringing people from either outside of agriculture completely or just into different sectors within agriculture uh, in that. But I, I think, and I, like remembering back to a bloke who's been a huge mentor for me, is a bloke by the name of Dave Kinninmouth who ran Mount Hess and managed it down here in Victoria for quite some time, but he was also running his own business on the side of managing for someone else. And Dave gave me a shot at the age of 12 and I was this fresh little kid from Sydney um, and it was really just to help him with mustering and a bit of sheep work in the yards. And I think people like Dave are everywhere in our sector. And if you've got someone who's keen and eager, but for us who have been in the industry for a while can actually play that mentoring and supporting role, then I think all of a sudden our sector becomes so attractive and welcoming to so many people. But I think it's on us to actually, one, show those pathways, but two, to actually go, we've got a role. If we want to build the sector into what it can be, we've each got a little role that we can play in our own pockets. Yeah, great comment. I mean, we talk a lot about hire on attitude, train on skill. And and we also hear a lot, there just aren't good people out there. And I think if you're looking in the industry to try and find people to come and work for you, maybe that is where the challenge is. But so many of our farmer members, Ollie, are um, looking outside of the industry to find that next generation of off-farm men and women or or tradesmen or others looking for a tree change. Um, And if we're willing to train and mentor them, it's about finding people with that great attitude and then teaching them to make their start in agriculture. I mean, how was it for you working under a mentor like that, having not grown up on farm, to learn those skills and and become competent in so many functions on farm? Hugely important. And I think probably, well, like my, and even today when it comes to how I want to be involved in the production side of ag, like I, I think I got myself to a level where I was probably handy and useful. And that's something that, I know I'm never going to be able to walk onto a farm and 
have the agronomy skills down pat or even the livestock being able to assess wool and go, oh, yep, this is bloody 18 micron or whatever it might be. And like, I just, I, I probably one don't have that critical analysis that's needed at that level, but I can come in and, and be useful. And that's something that I probably built up over a period of years. And it's something that I really want to hold on to. Um, I think you, you comment around good people, I think, and it's definitely something that I've found in terms of growing our team. When it comes to growing a, a business or growing a team or whatever it might be, if you're struggling to find good people, I think it also comes back and it's probably the really uncomfortable conversation, but it's going, well, what am I doing that's either one, not attracting them or two, not supporting them? Because I think it's easy to find excuses, but it's bloody hard, but probably in the long term more beneficial to go like, what's my role in this? And I know that with hiring young young people straight out of university, it, yes, they were new to the workforce and they were new in terms of the type of business we were running. But I'd been doing this for three years and I'd done every facet of it. The business had grown with me. So they were coming in and I was running at a pace which I just thought was normal, but they had no idea to it. And then in terms of, I guess, why that didn't work out, the actual problem in all of that was me because I wasn't there to support them. And in turn, like what I actually needed and what we needed for the business was skilled people because as a manager, I just wasn't here to actually support and develop in a way that they needed. But actually what yeah, that, that support was what I and the business needed as well. I think it's fair to say that as farmers, we haven't learned the HR piece or the leadership piece. It's not something we learn. I certainly didn't learn it at Ag College um, through my, even through my consulting and financing days. I learned a little bit about management, but um, it's not something that we learn on our travels as technical farmers. I mean, how do you reflect on your Marcus Oldham experience and how valuable and helpful was that for you um, in your trajectory, Ollie? Yeah, and I think this is something which I think about so much. Um, in I, th- I think in agriculture, because people often are rushing to get home, and I think there's there's a level of, I guess, formal training which you can get. And so I think where Marcus Oldham was amazing was they gave you exposure, so you actually had the chance to go and get a bit of perspective. What I loved at Mars was in your first year of agribusiness, there was mandatory four weeks of placement you had to do. And then in your second year, you had to do a mandatory 10 weeks. And that was literally just to get your certificate. So in that sense, you're already working in two workplaces. And I'm pretty sure you couldn't go back and work for a family business except for in, I guess, exemplary circumstances. I think, yeah. So I think there was initially what Marcus did really well was that exposure um, to businesses. But then for me, that communications piece and how businesses work and how people think and how I react to the things I like or don't like. The only way that I I think I've been able to get an understanding of that has been to work in different businesses. And I think looking at my resume in one aspect, it's a downfall where I was in an ag tech startup for just shy of two years. I was at KPMG for about 18 months. I was at Auctions Plus for shy of 18 months. Um, I was in a grad role for in fresh produce marketing and a logistics coordination role for only about six months, but there was different factors that happened in that different relationships that I feel like, yes, I was there for six months, but that experience actually then shaped me into the next part. And today it's, as a business owner, it's actually shaping me in terms of who, what's the type of manager that I want to be, but also to hopefully get better at recognising when I'm displaying traits which aren't supportive. And then I know I'm definitely not getting it right, but it, it is looking at little things like when people come in in the morning and 
I'm because I'm the first one in the office, I'll make myself busy, but actually going as soon as someone comes in, I should be going, all right, it's now time for people to people. It's time to just chat, catch up, shoot the breeze a little bit, and then get into the working day as opposed to trying to go full throttle all the time. And I think, yeah, I know exactly what I'm doing wrong, <laughs> but it's correcting that and that'll, I guess, take time. It's such an interesting point. Coming back to a comment you made before, a mentor of mine once said, and I've, I've quoted him often, that we get the people we deserve. And I think to your point, if farmers and for those listening, if you find it hard to find people, I guess it's worthwhile just checking in on what's your value proposition as an employer and what sets you apart to other farms in your region on how you turn up to your people and to your point, Ollie, I think often in management, the little things are the big things, aren't they? So just taking that time of a morning to take genuine interest in their weekend or their night or their family before you launch into, you know, what, what are the tasks for the day? Those little things and learning some of those communication and management skill sets can just be so important in how we become unique and compelling as employers. Fair comment? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think every business... Um, every business has its own brand and that brand is created not just of the actual product you're sending, in, in this case, outside the farm gate. It's actually in terms of that brand of what are the people within your business saying? Um, what do you like as a person? What are the people down the road saying? Like all of that is part of your brand and that comes down to the the different interactions that you're having. For me, yeah, I, I think um, it's something that you probably have to be super vigilant of and I know as an employee it was – what I was aware of. I think it's then just a, a matter of probably balancing, knowing like what is it that's going to actually impact the business. And yeah, if we spent two, three hours a week on, I guess, the the soft skills of chatting with each other and just finding that balance, it, it probably actually then comes full swing and, and positively influences your productivity and efficiency as well. Ollie, moving our attention to humans of agriculture, can you just help us understand how that project came to be. Um, I think it's quite unique and it's quite compelling. And I've enjoyed watching your journey over the last four or five years as I've come to know humans of agriculture. But how did how did this project come to be? Yeah. I'm glad you didn't say like what is it? Because that's the thing I really struggle on actually trying to get to. I think yeah the easy part is the early influences. So as I mentioned Grew up in Sydney, would often get asked from mates in the playground and and whatnot through high school, like, yeah, what have you been up to during the holidays? Tell me about what you actually did at the farm. So there was this interest in what was happening, but I guess so many other people that I was going to school with just had, it was worlds removed from anything that they knew. So it's probably like those early influences of that. Then coming through high school and when career opportunities and, and ultimately university courses and things came up, a careers advisor, I think, by no fault of their own, was kind of saying, oh, what? rather than looking at ag economics or ag business, why don't you look at a Bachelor of Economics or Bachelor of Business? And I think it was because there's just this unknown opportunity uh, of, of what agriculture is. And so Humans of Ag, I think, actually is probably something which I was looking for from the time I was 15, 16 years old, kind of the whole way through. And as I came into the industry and worked more and more within agriculture, I knew that there was there's an issue in terms of how we actually communicate and show people what it is that happens in the sector. And I think for me, I, I just saw that maybe there was an opportunity that was something that I could get involved in and with my background 
actually be probably useful to try and connect those dots because really like what I'm trying to do through this is talk to the people who I've met along the journey, but actually talk back to 15, 16 year old Ollie and try and show him the opportunities that there are in agriculture. And so in 2019, humans of agriculture really started probably a, a key point of frustration of going far out. Like we're making mountains out of molehills in some of the issues that we're talking about in agriculture. Red meat sector saying, oh, alternative proteins are going to overcome us. And at the same time, I'd gone over to Af- um, South Africa and going over there and and like you can see the coexistence of poverty and extreme affluence and it is right there in front of you. And then off the back of that, a conversation we had with a, I had with a taxi driver and he was this fellow from Zimbabwe who was literally trying to save up money to go back home and become a subsistence farmer. That was his ambition. And I was thinking far out. We like we need to get a bit of perspective. And off the back of that, 2019, I think had the chance to jump in and be involved in an event called Global Table, which was a conversation about what's Australia's role, but the Asia Pacific's role in creating a sustainable food system. And so that really closely interlinked with what humans of agriculture was doing. And I guess at the foundations of it, all 8 billion people on the planet need agriculture to survive, whether that's to survive day to day or to generate incomes, or now as we start to look at where the evolution of agriculture is going in terms of climate solutions, innovation, technology, like our our sector is actually huge if we take a step back and kind of broaden our horizons. And for me, Humans of Ag was going, how do we use people as our vehicle to understand What's the role of people in producing, moving and consuming food in a way that is going to create a better world, not just for us today, but actually for our children's children and intergenerationally. And I think we probably underplay just how critically um, influential and important our food system is in all of that. In fact, I'd say it's probably the most important thing. How good uh, Aussie farmers are telling their story and I guess painting an accurate and positive picture of of what's happening on their farms and you mentioned their brands, um, but in their industries and supply chains. Do you think that is misunderstood and do you think, are we are we good at telling our story? I don't think so, no. And I think it probably comes from probably a much bigger societal challenge we have in Australia, which is the tall poppy syndrome, but is actually being humble. And I think, I was chatting to you about this, but literally over the weekend I had a conversation with a mate and he said, how's humans of agriculture going? And I was like, oh, yeah, no, it's not too bad. It's keeping me busy. Um, and he was like, mate, that's not convincing at all. And I was like, well, actually, no, um, it is, it's actually unreal. We've got finally, like, we, we've the team's clicked. We've got lots of work on. We've got work kind of out into the future. Like, it is actually really good. And he was like, well, why didn't you say that the first time? And I think we have this, yeah, if we if we talk positively about something, we feel like it's boasting. And, and I think that comes right back into agriculture and, Yes, there is there is quite a lot of adversity and challenges that come with it. But then if you come in and chat to anyone in agriculture, like why are you involved or what is the most amazing parts of being involved in agriculture? And nearly every person will talk very passionately about just how great the people are. And it's like, why are we not telling the world about this? Because we talk about it when we actually get pushed a little bit on it. But why don't we actually find that as the default conversation in it? So I guess with that too, most farm owners haven't learned PR or communication or marketing, and we probably don't understand the importance of brand or the, the power of, of sharing a story. How, how powerful can it be 
for someone in agriculture to actually make the sharing of their story a priority. Yeah. And I think it's probably the part of, well, there's, there's probably a couple of roles in this. There's the role that we play as either, I'll say the storyteller, the person who's sharing it, but also then as, as, as a supporter. So when it comes to someone who's talked about what they've done, like, are we likely to share that? Are we actually likely to send them a message and be like, mate, saw you speak. That was unreal. And so I think a fellow by the name of Richard Rains talks about it a lot. Like, where are we taking the opportunities to actually put the wind underneath other people's wings? And I think for us, that's something that we can do really well. And you can do it incredibly well without having to throw yourself into the spotlight. Um, I forgot, I've gone on a tangent and I've forgotten what your question was. Uh, spot on. Um, I was just talking talking about the fact that we haven't necessarily learned marketing or comms or PR. So we're probably not good to be telling our stories. But I think your comment, and we're humans of ag, I think is quite unique, Ollie, is that you do support people to uncover and share their story without them having to do it for themselves. I think, you know, that's the power of a podcast really, isn't it? And it's power of the work that you do is helping people um, unlock that unique story that wraps around who they are and what they do. Yeah. Okay. I've got your point back. Sorry about that. So, yeah. And I, and I think it probably comes back to there is in terms of communication, like it is, communications and branding and all of that is a, is a true skill set and it is a, all ties into marketing, which is about how you're grabbing a message, who you're talking to, what are you talking to them about, and ultimately why should they care and what do you want them to do from it? Like that's marketing in a nutshell. So for us with Humans of Agriculture, it's not about trying to have every farmer building their own websites and branding themselves because actually I don't think that is necessary. I think for us at Humans of Ag, it was about, well, how do we create a platform and then invite other people in? So really for us, I see our role as walking alongside people. But there are numerous platforms out there, whether it's the mainstream news, it's the rural newspapers, it can be community news. But the way that you can actually positively influence agriculture is just in those little conversations. Like, are you having a conversation with someone down the road that you can actually talk about what's happening? But think about it in a positive light or if you're at a dinner party and there's someone who's getting a little bit curious and asking questions about it, can you lean in and have a bit of a one-on-one conversation? You don't necessarily need to have the answers. You can just have that conversation or even listen and just understand their perspective, which ultimately will be beneficial for you. Um, But it might also then shape a future conversation or something that you then get curious about on the other side. So, yeah, I would say that branding, marketing, communications piece we don't always have to think about it as being one to many. Um, it can literally just be one-on-one little conversations that are happening. And I think the more we do that in a in a po- positive and proactive way, the better our sector will be. Are you, are you suggesting that we've all got an ambassadorial role to play for our industry? Just help me understand what you're suggesting there. Like how can how can our members and our listeners um, advocate for the industry? either in a one-on-one or in a in a group setting? Yeah, so, well, I'd say in terms of ambassadorial role, I'd say yes, but ultimately it's not up to each of them to be that person out in front leading those conversations. I think, yeah, ultimately people can make a decision on whether they want to talk positively or negatively or productively about our industry, but I think we need to be having the, more of the conversations which are positive and productive for the sake of our industry. And it was only earlier this year that, um, that a bloke at the 
dairy Australian Dairy Conference, he'd spent quite a bit of time. I think I wanted. To, I dare say that he was a psychologist. But he'd spent a bit of time with dairy farmers, and he was saying that the self-talk in agriculture is actually really poor. And he said, in the dairy industry, you're actually the worst in agriculture. And so I think that's the part of what's the story that we tell ourselves and the narrative that we tell ourselves and how are we contributing to that? And is there a way that we can do it in a more positive way? What would you like to see, Ollie, having interviewed across sectors of agriculture, is that what you'd like to see change, that that the self-talk within each sector is way more uplifting and more positive? Yeah, I think so. Because I think if if it comes to the discussions where it is, God, it's we're so hard done by this and that and the other, well, you've got a choice. Don't do it. Like no one is forcing you to be involved in it. If it's that bad as sometimes we portray ourselves, then don't do it. But I think what I do want to see change, and it's one of the stats that came out of the, it was a wellbeing report of um, a sample size of 3,000 Australian farmers that was done earlier this year by the National Farmers Federation. And it was that 76% of farmers believe that their role is undervalued by the broader Australian public. And this is then affecting their self-worth and ultimately their um, anxiety or mental well-being as well off the back of this. And I would say like facts like that, I, I don't think are necessarily true. Like where are we validating that? And what's the story that we want to portray of ourselves, of our communities, of our sector and actually do that in a, in a positive way? Because I think when it comes back to the core of it and you chat to people, they talk about passion, they talk about people. And it's a pretty amazing and unique industry to be part of where you're actually producing food and fibre for people. And that's something which as far as we can see, is going to be vitally important for a long time into the future. Great point. One of the things we're huge on at Farm Owners Academy is is mindset. And to be a successful entrepreneur, um, you've got to protect, nurture and and really sort of focus in on a high-performance mindset. And the self-talk that you wrap around that is just so important. And I I wonder if the top 20% of our industry if we were to survey them, are um, the ones that are positive, upbeat, can do, um, affirming their position in the world and, you know, optimistic about our industry. And I wonder if their success is a function of their mindset and a function of their self-talk. I think that no matter the industry, whether you're in and looking at the butchering industry or the electrical contracting industry or the vet industry or whatever, I wonder if the top 20% or the high performers are the ones that are telling themselves and telling those around them a slightly different story to the masses in that sector. What would your comment be there, Ollie? Yeah, and I've always wondered about this, like in in terms of that, what are the linkages between, say, elite sports people, but then also you look at, I think, farmers and, and as you say, that top 20%. I think it would be like incredibly fascinating to delve into because there's probably not many areas where you can have so many macro um, uncontrollable factors, but then ultimately, and it comes back to that, like how do these people then shape their businesses? How do they make decisions in that? But then also too, like why on earth are they so bloody passionate about this? They face so much adversity. They literally define resilience and they keep coming back and doing it. And I think, yeah, it would be fascinating to see. And I think I think there'd be lots of linkages between high-performing agriculturalists and actually those elite business people, elite sports people, whatever it might be. Yep, I totally agree. 
I've heard you say, Ollie, that there's a disconnect that might be increasing between society and agriculture where, you know, consumers perhaps city or overseas don't quite understand, I guess, that level of passion and that level of um, commitment that farming families have towards what they do. Would you mind speaking to your observation of of that disconnect between society and agriculture? Yeah, and I think it probably comes down to, so it's off the back of research which came out in 2017 through the National Farmers Federation. It was that 81% of Australians listed their connection to farming as distant or non-existent, and more than one in two people had had zero connection to a farmer in that previous 12 months. And I think what we've seen over generations um, is that people have moved more towards those larger city areas and that and I guess we're also seeing it in agriculture where people are farms are getting bigger so there are less farmers um yeah I think it just comes down to that there is that growing disconnect but I also think the opportunities that we provide people to connect into it um there's there's I guess niche brands which are connecting people to farms um there are ways which I think our major retailers and whatnot are linking into it but I do think we're on the cusp of a, a really interesting trend where um, the accessibility of agriculture and farming to those that consumer base is really interesting because I think if you look at well-known TV series that do incredibly well, Landline's up there, um, Farmer Wants a Wife does well, but Mustard Dogs on the ABC went absolutely bananas. And I think so we know that when there's content created around agriculture that actually metro audiences love this stuff and they really want to digest in it. But actually, as a sector, we're not creating content in a way which is conducive to these people. And I think that's for us like, yeah, how do we use social media? How do we use video content to be able to show and share pe- to people? Like, this is what modern agriculture actually looks like today. And off the back of that, I think it's then starting to look at then how do you start to bring people to show them the, the different opportunities and careers and whatever else it might be. But I do think it's becoming quite on trend, especially as. People are talking. It, it's probably died down a little bit. I think the provenance was a big conversation a couple of years ago. Now it seems to be around carbon footprints, emissions, etc. And we know the likes of MJ Baylor investing in low emission or zero emission woolen products. Country Road uh, are doing the exact same thing with Good Earth Cotton. Um, the retailers and supermarkets are promoting the role that farmers uh, are playing within their areas. But I actually think there's a, a real role here in digital and content to actually take that. To many. So you mentioned that you might not be able to walk onto a farm and, and tell the, the micron of a fleece or help someone technically with agronomy. But Ollie, I feel like this is where humans of agriculture lands and and where you and your team have a unique ability to help farming families um, to get that um, content and that story out there so that they are sort of helping bridge that gap between the farmer and the consumer, what is your aspiration for humans of agriculture and how do you sort of, how do you hope that it will land in that space? Yeah, and I probably don't have any aspirations to be able to tell the the micron of wool as I walk into a farm. I think <laughs> sure. it probably just, I don't know, like I'd say it interests me, but it doesn't really get me too excited. The people side of it, it really does, and I find people just fascinating. Um, the role that I want to the humans of agriculture playing is to create stories in in ways which are accessible that really does champion agriculture that does help to empower people within our sector to 
not just feel good about themselves, but to feel good about others um, and what we're actually doing. Because I think we've got an incredible story to share. So aspiration-wise, God, I think, um, yeah, like I would really, I really want to do more of what we're doing um, in the video space, especially through short-form media. So um, a little idea that I've coined the Ag Prentice, which I'd love to take like a bit of a mixture of like dirty jobs, which they they ran in the US a few years ago and actually go in to different businesses and become their apprentice for the day and go and understand a little bit more about what it is, how their team works and all of that. I think that'd be fascinating, but I also think that's content which other people would be interested in and we could do it pretty, I'll say, cost-effectively from within. So I think that's probably a key part, but then also working with businesses and and really helping them understand like how are they positioning and branding themselves for their employee value proposition. And I think why that excites me is I want to be able to attract people into agriculture, but I also want people to come in um, and just have a greater understanding of what does modern agriculture look like. And for me, I think, yeah, just the the aspirations is to continue learning about the way we farm, the way we produce, the way that we move, um, and then even what happens kind of beyond the other end. Like the, I just recently watched that whole series, War on Waste, and I just – I just find our supply chains just so bloody fascinating. There's so much innovation. There's so much thinking that goes into it. You've got waste products that are being turned back into valuable inputs that are coming back into farming systems like this loop and influence that we've got, if you actually look at ag kind of holistically, is uh, incredible. So many, yeah, so many stories and so much content of value that can help change the narrative around Australian agriculture, but perhaps agriculture globally. Um, coming back to a comment we touched on before, Ollie, um, I feel like if we're selling commodities, be it wool, meat, crops, whatever, that it's hard to differentiate ourselves around what it is we produce. Um, a restaurant, for example, can absolutely differentiate itself compared to other restaurants. But one of the things I deeply believe is that our ability to be unique and differentiate ourselves as farmers is in how we, our value proposition to team and to employees. You touched on before also that it's how your reputation is within your community and it's how you turn up to your suppliers and contractors as well that helps shape your reputation and your brand. How conscious do you think farming families are of their value proposition to employees, their value proposition to contractors, and their value proposition, or how they're turning up in community. Are they? Are we? Are we just focused on turning out wool and turning out crops, or do you think we are focused enough on how we are unique compared to other farms in some of those key relationships? So, I think there's probably I think there's probably not a huge amount of conscious thought into it i don't know i feel like people probably just do it like this is <laughs> who we are and whatnot like i can talk from experience um and having worked on multiple kind of family operations that even just as a harvest kind of contractor as well and i think probably something which i've observed that you wouldn't observe in another workplace not maybe it's family business but the way that um that family members will talk to each other like simply put it, completely unprofessional. And some of the ways that then it actually impacts you as a contractor or another employee is actually 
really negatively. And I think that's something which businesses actually really need to think consciously about. It's like, what is the what is the way that you because you live where your workplace is, but a way that you can build a bit of routine into what it is. Like I, I would say, for instance, for me, when it comes to like when I walk in the door at work, it's like, okay, I'm here to work now and we can have fun and whatnot, but actually it's a professional environment and there's a certain way that we're going to dress, there's a certain way we're going to carry ourselves and whatnot. And I think sometimes, yeah, in family businesses that can fall by the wayside. And I think that potentially does hold us back. And I think it probably comes back to that, other point in terms of what like, people are in a rush to get back and and yes we have labor challenges and so you need that extra set of hands but god sometimes going away for a year or two years three four whatever it might be and actually working for other people and understanding communications understanding how businesses interact um you can even go and like work on some ski slopes or whatever it might be go and work overseas it doesn't have to be working in ag just to pick up on some of those little nuances of actually yeah, the way that you talk to people, the way that you dress, the way that you interact, as you say, with your contractors and whatnot, actually is really important to your business and your brand and that reputation that you're underpinned by. Yeah, I think because we're family businesses, if left unchecked, we can be very amateur in how we're going about um, communicating and leading our people. And I think there is a, a step process and a transition to go from amateur to professional, isn't there? But when we do, Profits, efficiency, brand, um, our ability to attract and retain talent, all of those things start to kick in. Um, I think it's such a, a key distinction that I think sometimes we're so focused on just production and the technical that we're not perhaps placing enough focus on that question, how can we conduct ourselves more professionally? I think it's a great point. Yeah, and... God, I don't reckon I'd be very good in a family business because I think I would have probably defaulted to some of those tendencies you do get because you've grown so close to people. But yeah, I think I think the thing is that you've got to remember that, um, and someone said it, I'll get it wrong, but um, are you a business that's a family or are you a family that's in business? And I think that kind of nuance is going, actually, no, we're showing up here because we're a business and these are our livelihoods and there's other people's livelihoods kind of connected to it. And so the most important part is how do we make decisions? How do we create structure around that? So then, then we can enjoy everything else that kind of comes with working alongside siblings and family, which, God, it, it would be bloody special to being able to sit down and create those kind of memories and successes alongside family as well. That's something which is unique and something that, yeah, I would probably am quite jealous of when I look at successful farming families. Yeah, I mean, done well. I think there wouldn't there, there probably isn't a bigger privilege than – having that opportunity to do business with family. Um, but so often we see, you know, the other side of that and we hear a lot about the other side of that is where where relationships break down and where succession doesn't work and where um, those families don't actually make it work. What, what we believe, Ollie, keen on your comment on this as well, is that when you do apply the professional disciplines to a farming family business, it can give... Um, families a greater opportunity to align to a common goal, to a common set of values, um, to communicate more strongly, to get better system structure team around them so that they're giving themselves a better chance of, um, of you know, succession and, and creating that family legacy. Have you um, seen that in your travels? Yeah, and I think like 
um, been really fortunate to see sit on, I guess, both sides of the fences of looking at corporate businesses, looking at, I'll say, family-owned corporates, and then also just family businesses. And uh, yeah, I think the the difference probably between say family and corporate actually doesn't have to be hugely different. I guess the real uh, and and it was a fellow when I went over to Harvest Road. He said the only difference is that. A corporate is a group of unrelated individuals working towards a common goal. A family business is a group of related individuals working towards a common goal. And I think that goes, in, and in any business, it's what's our trajectory, what's our vision, what do, what's the impact we want to make, and then what is it going to take in order for us to achieve that, and then who do we need to achieve that. And I think that's where, and I think of it in our, in our small little business here, and um, actually nearly like departmentalizing areas because then that gives people responsibility and responsibility gives them opportunity and that actually then allows for creativity and thinking outside the box because people feel empowered and like they own something. And I think that's where it's really important that you, you rather than having kind of everyone working on everything, you actually do segregate it a little because ultimately that you're going to have better outcomes because people can provide specific thinking or specific problem solving into areas of specialization as opposed to generalization. Yeah, absolutely. Just while we're talking business, Ollie, how do you reflect on the humans of ag journey? You set up a few years ago and you've had the entrepreneur journey in your own right. How's that ride been and and how do you reflect on on that entrepreneur journey? It's unreal. Um I absolutely love it. And I think it's probably, yeah. Um a long time coming. Uh, I think what I know now as a business owner, employer, if I knew that as an employee, I probably would have been a better employee, just understanding some of the nuances and actually just the complexities of business. Um, but for me, I'd say, yeah, it is incredibly challenging. It is um, sometimes overwhelming, but then actually when you take some really simple kind of process, and I think my default is when I feel overwhelmed with what's going on, it's just get a piece of paper, write down everything that needs to happen and then who or what it will take to achieve that. And all of a sudden you kind of get through these busy times. You go, oh, that actually wasn't so bad. Um, But I I think overarching all of that, like it is just the most, I think, yeah, consuming, enjoyable thing and and being able to, I think, closely align your purpose and and being able to get excited about work every single day is a real privilege because I think, there, we spend so much time at work and around other people that being able to do something which is so enjoyable and, and I think meaningful to me personally is is really cool and I have to keep pinching myself that somehow is a job. <laughs> you know you've got it right when your day job doesn't feel like one, you know, and I get the sense like this podcast for me that that what you do doesn't necessarily feel like work. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, I think there's definitely elements of it which <laughs> does feel like work. I think fortnightly and monthly when um, those the different bass requirements and things roll around, it absolutely feels like work. But I think even as a small business owner, like, God, I've come to really appreciate the importance of budgeting and coming up with, yeah, little financial models and, and projections and then that problem solving that goes, you know, all this fell over, so how are we going to solve that? It's just constant problem solving and I think probably for me what I love about small business is that you get to work on so many different assets of it that probably if you had to go back into being specifically within a a sales team in a business or whatever it might be 
Yeah, I don't know if that'd be the stimulation. <laughs> Ollie, a couple of questions that I often ask of people that I get to interview. What's the best bit of advice you've been given? Can you think of anything on this entrepreneur journey or on this business journey? Have you had some great advice along the way? Yeah, so it probably comes from my, well, there's probably two bits. One it was um, use, your, use your 20s to try lots of things. Um, use your 30s to really focus in on what it is you like and use your 40s and 50s to build wealth through that. Um, that was one bit of advice. My other bit of advice came probably from dad and it was when I was, I think, looking for jobs and trying to find like when people will say they love their jobs or the dream job, um, I probably was was struggling a little bit to find that. So dad's advice was don't necessarily try and find the perfect thing. Like why don't you try and try things but then work out what it is you don't like because through that process of elimination you'll get closer to the things that you really do like and want to work on. What a great comment. Yeah, it was good. Definitely yeah, helped me. <laughs> hey, um, what are you most proud of about what you've created with humans of ag and with that too, what are you most excited about into your future? Yeah, I think probably what I'm most, I think, yeah, most proud of the fact that um, last year, the beginning of last year, my mantra, call it a goal, whatever it was, was to back myself and see what's possible. And I think it was so incredibly scary and daunting, that idea of going, all right, I'm going to leave the safety net of a corporate career and pursue this. But I think I'm, yeah, so proud of the fact that I actually back myself and have been able to create opportunities for myself and and for others off off the back of that, which I think is really cool. And what am I most looking forward to? I think I dare say probably looking forward to a bit of clarity around what it is we're actually doing. I think, yeah, we're, we're working out this formula and we've got so many different opportunities that we can go after. It's how do you either go broad and find and slot people into the areas to really make something of this and and grow probably quite aggressively or actually then just going it's okay not to be the biggest and pursue that and so yeah I'm, I'm probably looking forward to just continually working on where do we fit into the world and what is it that we really want to be known for yeah well thank you for your openness on that i think as entrepreneurs often there's so many opportunities when you're doing something right and when you're paving new ground in the way that you are, opportunities present themselves and it can be really difficult, can't it, to work out which ones to to grab onto and run with versus which ones are the, the bright, shiny pennies off to the side of the path that perhaps we should be on. Yeah, so at the moment it's just say yes to everything and um, pat a light buggery, but I'm looking forward to spending a bit more time at home maybe next year. <laughs> <laughs> Last question, if I could. Ollie, what would you say to a younger you? You know, you Ooh, talk about you talk about communicating those stories of agriculture back to a sixteen-year-old Ollie, being part of what drives you. Um, what advice would you give to that young person, perhaps in Sydney or Melbourne, who's you know starting to show a bit of interest in agriculture? What would you say to them about you know maybe cutting a path in this game? Well, it's probably advice that I should listen to myself now as well, and it's probably just um, stop trying to rush and and think that you need to really like make that impact today tomorrow next week like i think yeah looking back at it like use use your time um you 
when you're at uni, you have this kind of incredible opportunity to use that university email address to get into businesses and meet people that you wouldn't have otherwise. And if I actually probably slowed down a little bit at uni and thought, how do I grab a coffee with these people? Where, what kind of doors that would open? But also too, I think what I've learned is that the responsibilities and everything only kind of keep on coming. And so by trying to rush and build a career, build a profession, try and build, I guess, a bit of a a brand of myself, but then also then building a, a business out of that too, you actually create this need to actually keep doing things. And so I think, yeah, going back to high school, it's take time and get perspective. But I do think um, when it comes back to agriculture, I think there is ways that you can kind of link all those things together and it, it just takes probably a little bit of conscious thinking. Yeah, great comment. Thank you. Yeah, I think business ownership is a marathon, isn't it? It's not a sprint. And often we want things to unfold in front of us so quickly. But um, the key is just to persist and stay in the game and and be really measured and thoughtful about those opportunities that we do take. Yeah, no, I think so. And um, back to that advice, I think the key thing is like make decisions and just keep making decisions. <laughs> don't, don't spend too much time thinking back of what ifs and, and what could have been because it's too late. <laughs> Exactly. We can't change history. That's it. No, we can't. Um, the great Buckminster Fuller once said, ladies and gents, that um, the point of entrepreneurship is to create an artifact that can make an impact on the planet. And Ollie, I know it's it's probably early in the humans of agriculture journey, but I would just like to acknowledge the courage that you've shown to sort of arrive into this industry and be as passionate as you are about helping us tell a better narrative and to share a better story and um, to advocate for who we are and what we do as individuals within an industry and as an industry. I think it's really important work. I think the way you're going about it is unique. It doesn't surprise me, mate, that there's just heaps of opportunities arriving in front of you and that you might be confused about which ones to take. But Perhaps that's that's just feedback that you're doing something really significant, and mate, do do keep making those decisions and and stay as committed as you are because I think you know five or ten or fifteen years from now, I think the impact that humans of agriculture is going to have on this industry is going to be significant. So, on behalf of half of everyone listening, thank you for that, and keep up the great work. Thanks, Hutch. It's a privilege to get the chance to sit down with you guys, and can't wait to see what's ahead. Great, mate. Thanks for your time. Very much appreciated. And um, we'll speak again soon, Ollie. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Profitable Farmer podcast by Farm Owners Academy. If you're new to this show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a long-time listener, let your friends know about us or come continue the conversation in the Profitable Farmer Facebook group. All the best as you grow your business and create your freedom farm. Until next time, keep being incredible.